0: Welcome to another episode of Aliyah Money Talks. After a bit of a long break with the podcast, I'm excited to get back into it. I've been busy working on quite a few projects, including uh, the launch of the Ola Academy. Uh, You can learn more about that at olaacademy.com. But there's so many people I love learning from and so many people I want to speak to that are willing to volunteer their time and come and share information uh, with you. So I'm excited to have one of those guests today. Uh, I'm I'm excited to introduce Eden Nav the original king of Aliyah Finance. Uh, Eden is the founder of Financial Aliyah, where he's been sharing financial video tips uh, with Olim for quite a few years now. Edin, why don't you start us off? Tell us about yourself and tell us about your journey.
1: Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me here, Aaron. And I'm so happy that you and Nadav Ellison have sort of like taken the baton and <laughs> have gone off and running in helping people with their money because the reason I started Financial Aliyah um, is I realized that you can't copy-paste U.S. financial principles to Israel. So what, what would happen would be that whenever I would talk to Israelis, they don't know anything about the stock market, and they would just say, oh yeah, I just buy real estate, I buy apartments to retire. I speak to Americans, and all they know about is just investing in the S&P 500, investing in stocks, um, and 401ks, which have no relevance to Israel, IRAs, which have no relevance to Israel. And I said, where's the middle ground? Where as yeah. an ex, as an expat who's a U.S. citizen and an Israeli citizen or come from an English-speaking country and I now are in Israel, how do we – Have a path to financial independence, millionaire, passive income, whatever other title you want to put on it that financial gurus out there use. What is the best way to build wealth? Um, Because at the end of the day, people always look at Israeli salaries and say, wow, the salaries are so little. But you get so much on top of that and look around. Look at the cars that people are driving. Look at the vacations people are taking. This is a wealthy country. Full period, stop. Yeah. Don't listen to all the naysayers. How do we translate our background and really turn that into financial success for ourselves? So I started Financial Aliyah to sort of start giving a blueprint and move that forward. Now, I wasn't able to, to successfully turn that into a full-time business. I've sort of taken a step back. Um, and have pursued other paths because I saw that that was probably where my focus was better. But I'm still very passionate about the topic, and I'm very happy that you've sort of taken the baton and are running with it and giving that advice in a non-biased way, which is super important because when it comes to financial literacy, you really have to be careful of who you're taking advice to because there's a lot of people that are just Um, glorified salespeople because traditionally uh, the financial services market has existed for over 100 maybe even 200 years and traditionally it works on a commission model where the money comes out the back end right Uh, so you really have to be careful and it's not transparent to the average person so you really have to be be careful of where you're getting that advice from
0: yeah. No, I think we we share this passion. We've had a lot of great discussions about this topic about helping Olim, you know, get uh kind of this objective advice where they can Learn about their options and learn about uh, you know what's what's relevant relevant to them without being pushed towards one thing or another because I'm earning a commission from this or that service. So I think that's great, and I think uh, so many people uh, benefit from your straight talk and your ability to to go ahead and and tell it like it is. So I I'm looking forward to hearing some of that, and I also want to keep, encourage you to keep making making videos whenever you get a chance over at uh, over at Financial Aliyah. I'll share I'll share a a uh, link to that in in the show notes. So one of the things we wanted to talk about is kind of what's the difference between a wealthy mindset and a poor mindset? How do you break that down? You know, give it to me in a nutshell.
1: You know, I've been, you know, Elon Musk just bought Twitter <laughs> and everyone's talking about it on 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 Twitter. And in in the world, and and the and and he has his haters, and he has the people who who really like him. But the one thing that you'll notice about Elon Musk is vision. He's always looking yes. at that large scale mission of what's the future, and how can my companies take us to that future? And that's what people buy into. And I think in a nutshell, that's what a wealthy mindset is about. Are we living paycheck to paycheck and when we're making financial decisions, all we're checking is whether the cost of X purchase will fit in with our monthly personal cash flow? Will I be able to buy this car and pay for it every month and not be in minus every month? Or Am I buying this car as part of a larger financial picture to really build wealth long-term and does that fit into the long-term vision? So regardless of whether we get into an argument of leasing versus buying or um, renting versus owning, whichever decision you make is fine, don't lease. (laughs) But um, it's more a question of are we being strategic? Is the decisions we're making today going to help us get to where we want to be when we're 40, 50, 60, 70? Or is it just about I need a new laptop, I have 1,000 shekels left over every month in my bank account so I could do tashlumim of 1,000 shekels a month? Because if we fall into this monthly cycle trap, um, trap What'll happen is we'll never be able to build for that long term. And in the end, wealth is about compounding interests. You know, there's a quote of Albert Einstein that Albert Einstein didn't even say. I think <laughs> it was the greatest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest wonder in the world is compounding mm-hmm. interest. Right. That's how you build wealth. There's two ways there's only two ways to build wealth, okay? One is an exit, one is a big event. So if you're gonna hit the lottery if you have, own a company that's going to have a significant exit or you have a big inheritance that just ends up by you, that's one yeah. way to build wealth. The other way is to save, con- invest consistently, and over time, that will grow into a large um, amount of money. So I want to ask you, the viewers, think right now. Do you have any people in your family that if they die, you're going to get millions of dollars? If the answer is no, you have to go with the other option. Do you own a business that can turn into a huge business that's going to make you millions of dollars in an exit or going to cash flow you a significant amount of money? If that's not you, then you got to go the other way. And are you really, really freaking lucky? I mean so lucky that lightning would strike you and you, or you would win the lottery. If not, you got to just save and invest monthly.
0: So let's let's drill did, did down on that a little bit. You know, if we look at the actual monthly cycle, right? Somebody who's looking at budgeting, looking at cash flow, they're trying to figure out, all right, this is how I've been doing things up until now. I want this wealthy mindset, you know, built into my my day in, my monthly kind of cash flow cycle. How do I do that? What do I need to do? What what should I be thinking about? What's what's uh, you know, how do I adopt this this wealthy mindset approach?
1: All right. So first thing you ask – you have to ask yourself is, is my shovel big enough? Am I – as Dave Ramsey says, am I earning <laughs> enough money? So if you're near the poverty line, um, you're you're really – you're making 10 th- – your family and you're making 10, 12,000 shekels, it's going to be hard. I'm not going to lie. You need a bigger shovel. You need to make more money. Yeah. Um, but and and to those people i would encourage you to skill up try to look around what kind of professions can i go into that'll make me more money um don't just get pigeonholed and say you know this is my career, this is my career that i that i chose and and i'm going to be be stuck here no we're in the 21st century you can reskill yourself and earn a lot of money pretty fairly quickly but you have to be willing to put in that work so do you have a big enough shovel now the truth is that most people in israel and especially olim anglos that are highly educated speak english natively yeah. are making enough money if you're making you know 15 20 25 30, 000 shekels a month and your spouse is making 15 20 25 30000 shekels a month your shovel is big enough because one, the savings rate out the gate with the pension Kerenish Talmud is super high, high. around twenty five thirty percent. So already that amount is going into your to your uh, monthly income. And um, the second the second thing you you really have to think about is I just lost track. <sighs>
0: get get back Re-focus into me. it. you got this you yeah. yeah i mean the second if you if you're kind of you've got that track where you're you're taking a piece of your your oh okay your yeah yeah this every is where single I was month going. Yeah, yeah 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 so
1: if the shovel is big enough now let's look at the whole now yeah. everyone's spending is different because everyone has a different quality of life right some people like the- vana and that's good for them but some people really want philadelphia cream cheese some people love kayaking but some people really want a sailboat so just make sure that your spending habits are in line with the amount of money you're earning and then from there it's just a simple calculation Nadav Ellenson actually just put out a great post recently where he said that he speaking to a lot of families and it turns out that he sees pretty consistent spending uh, uh, habits amongst middle class families in Israel right. so the more kids well, you, you have, have to, the the, yeah.
0: the more you'll spend but yeah
1: so with your pension Karen shtamut which is your forced long term savings A, just don't touch them b it'll tell you very based, based on your current savings how much you'll have at retirement which I'll give you a tip is actually usually under projected because they're only allowed to project projected at a four percent interest rate because the government doesn't want these pension agents promising you know fifteen percent return so they say no you're only allowed to tell people you're returning at a four percent rate. Uh and then that that was just their way of dealing with it. So see how much you'll have there for retirement. And then what you have to do is say okay at retirement this is the amount but this is what I'm going to want to be able. These are the goals I want to hit. I want to be able to yeah. pay for my kids' college. Yes, no. I want to buy my kids' apartments. Yes, no. I want to take amazing luxury vacations. Yes, no. Okay, I want to take more middle, you know, middle sort of style vacations. Yes, no. And then just figure out rough estimate of how much money you need to be able to live like the way that you want with the values that you yourself have and then that's and then you just have to go to a compound interest calculator put in I like to use 7% everyone who talks about how much the stock market makes 10, 12 I think 7% is a great number I think it's it's conservative enough um, because The last 10 years have been absolutely crazy in the public markets, and we've seen crazy returns. But you have to look back historically to really get an understanding of what it's going to do. And then there you just project out. You put in, okay, I'm saving 1,000 shekels a month. I'm starting with 200,000 shekels. Um, After 30 years, once I start working, or maybe 20 years if you want to retire early, or maybe 10 years – yeah. Will I have enough uh, money? By I the way, just there. a quick anecdote drove me yeah. crazy. So many of these mortgage brokers and people taking interest rates—they ta- were taking variable rates when the interest rates were like two, three percent. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're yeah. like, yeah, the, the, you know, interest rates—the max, you know, it's at two percent. The max it'll get to is four percent, right? I'm like, yeah look back have a little historical context in the 70s and 80s interest rates got into the double digits double digits interest yeah. rates for taking a mortgage were the same as what many people are paying interest on their credit cards today yeah and no, what's, I mean, it's,
0: it, it's so interesting we we, we drilled on this a lot in the course but it's 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 if you look at so much of financial advice here in Israel around the world, they almost always look at like what happened the last ten years, and you know from from a historical perspective, ten years is meaningless. I mean, ten years is a is a drop in the bucket in terms of what historical data we're looking at when we're trying to make decisions and and understand what could happen and and stress test our portfolio and look at all these kinds of things, you know. We need to look at a lot more data than 10 years. Uh, and the, what happened the last 10 years often says nothing about the next, the next 10 years. So I think that's really uh, an important point. Um, and I'm glad you're, 100%. you're drilling down on that. Yeah. I would, I would, I want to drill even closer on that and the detail you're talking about as far as consistency, right? When we, once we've kind of broken it down, we understand how we are building our wealth, what our targets are, what our goals are. How do we get in that mindset of, of consistency and why is consistency important?
1: Yeah, so I I have really bad ADHD, and I'm <laughs> not the best at consistency, full transparency. But thankfully, there's tools and there's people that can help us with that. Um, first off, the reason why consistency is so important is because of compound interest. It's for two reasons. One is compounding interest, so you want to be able to make sure that you're investing consistently because I started Financial Aliyah like two, three years ago, and now I'm two, three years older. Ah! Could you imagine? Like two, three years pass like this. So what happens if you're not consistent? You're just going to be passionate about, you know, I'm going to, okay, now start investing, and then you forget, and you, boom, you wake up, you're 40 years old. And there's many people like that and you could go in the groups, you can go online and people just ha- reach a certain age and they're like, damn, what have, I, what have I been doing for 20 years? I was raising my kids. My wife was beautiful and now she's even more beautiful and I didn't put any money in retirement. So that's one reason that consistency is so important and just doing it, having something set up where it's it's monthly and, and on another base on a consistent basis. The second reason why consistency is so important is a really fancy-sounding term, which is actually a very simple concept called dollar cost averaging. What dollar cost averaging basically says is that while within short periods of time, the stock market is like a roulette machine. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. So when I could put in a dollar in the stock market, within a week or six months or a year, that money might go up, that money might go down. Did I hit black? Did I hit red on the proverbial roulette machine? But over time, historically, the stock market will always go up. The reason the stock market will always go up... Is because our financial markets, the financial system, is designed in such a way that it has to grow. If we sort of go off track, the same reason why Europe is begging people to have children. Begging, paying for vacations, go to hotels, do what it takes to have children because the social financial system is based on the future nest egg being bigger than the current nest egg in order to pay for the way the financial services work and we you know economists can go deeper into that but that's all we have to understand for this and in order to make sure that we're not playing roulette with our money did i hit black did i hit red put your money on black um Mm -hmm. We invest over time. So every month we put in X amount every month. Let's say you're investing $10 every month. So over time, regardless of whether we're investing at a time when the market's going down or going up, we will catch that upward trend and we're guaranteed mathematically, statistically to make money and not lose money.
0: Right. So if, if we you know we look at this historical context and we, we understand how it benefits to be a stakeholder, to be an owner of of the global economy and and, and really to invest, you know, that does sound great, but part of me kind of thinks, why not just keep it safe in the bank? When I'm taking all this risk and I'm looking at what's going on with the news and the interest rates and all these kinds of things that are scary, you know, why don't I just avoid the crashes and keep the money safe in the bank?
1: So if you would have asked me this question a year ago, I would say the answer is – we all know the answer is inflation. So people would ask this question a year ago, two years ago, and it would just go over their head because they didn't feel it.
0: They didn't believe it. But
1: now, right now, I can give you this answer and our viewers will cringe. They will feel it because – have you noticed that when you go to the supermarket, everything got more expensive? You're buying a car, everything got more expensive. The gas went up. So the financial market, the the the, 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 the banks actually want the currency to be worth less. They want your dollar to go less. And it's built into the system that something costs a dollar today. Next year, it costs a dollar and two cents. The year after that, it costs a dollar and four cents, so on and so forth. And when you leave the money in the bank, it becomes worth less. And sometimes it's over a short period of time, it's hard to see that. But actually recently, it's been really easy to see that. And just a great example of that. If anyone here has parents, think about how much money your parents paid for their house. I'm talking about like 30, 40, 50 years ago or your grandparents, (laughs) how much they paid for their house. Now imagine if they were to put that money in the bank, how much would that money be worth now? What can they buy with it? Or if any of your parents told you, oh, I invested in Disney stock, I invested in uh, GM, I invested in Ford, or well, any of these really, really, really old p PNG, like any real old hardcore blue chip companies. Now think about what that money would buy you today and that sort of gives you an idea of why it's so important to invest and not leave the money in the bank and make sure that inflation is not stealing our hard-earned money. Oh, and plus, yeah. even if you were just pegging the inflation, because of the way compound interest works, you could actually make more than inflation. So for example, if you just, – just think about this. If you could somehow live three, four, five hundred 500 years – <laughs> um, and even if you made like minimum wage and you just put aside like 10 shekels a month you would literally in like a couple hundred years be like billionaires I actually had this crazy idea which I want to do <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I actually want to do this maybe I should set up a fund if I put like just a hundred thousand shekels into a fund but I said that It's going to be invested in the S and P 500 or some kind of index. Now, I have to make sure that it's a company that'll still be do it in such a way that it'll be around in a thousand years. So I'm not sure, or like you know, I need a I need a good lawyer to come up with contingencies. What happens if Vanguard closes in 300 years? Um, But invest this 100,000 shekels for yeah for like 300 years, and then only then it will go into a trust controlled by the sun, the my direct descendant of the son 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 you know come up with something that'll literally that could literally be billions of dollars
0: um, it, it sounds like a great experiment i'm not sure how well it'll go with your uh oh, with your adhd but uh, yeah. it sounds like a great <laughs> yeah this is the <laughs> sounds real like long lot of fun.
1: and by the way you know <laughs> someone long-term. you know someone who did this
0: benjamin franklin no
1: benjamin franklin exactly uh, yeah. and he did exactly that and a couple of years ago, look it up, he city paid of Philadelphia, out to the yeah. city of Philadelphia, to the public schools, to the libraries. I forget how much it was. I don't want to say. It was like yeah. tens of millions of dollars. How, how cool is that? How freaking right. cool is that?
0: Right. So if we kind of, I guess, break this down more. On one hand, we, we talked about how we don't necessarily want money sitting in the bank. That's not for the short term. Uh, because of the risks of inflation, which we can all really feel right now, we also talked about our high savings rate uh, that Israelis naturally have with par- with with pension Kevin You know, how do we how do we kind of balance that? Do I need to be investing more than I'm already investing when it comes to my you know I've already got a big chunk uh, and a high savings rate? Do I need to be doing more or not? How do I how do I approach that subject?
1: Well, do you want more? Are you happy with what you have? Do you need more? Um, are you underinsured? So that's where you have to look at your quality your style of living, your spending habits um, and whether and what are your goals. I personally want to get rich because I see what that the opportunities, that unlocks um i see how beneficial that is to society i see how amazing that is for the impact you can have in the jewish communities around you in the positivity you can push through philanthropy so for me that's important for you that might not be important but even if it's not even if you say I checked my investments through my Karishstal pension, and based on my quality of life, I'm going to have enough in my retirement. Um, and I don't want more. I'm happy living how I'm living. Great, Awesome. But, do you have enough insurance if something changes? Because things change.
0: Yeah All
1: of a sudden, a buffer.: You need a buffer? Yeah. You need a buffer? You don't have kids, you decide to have kids. You think your kids can make it on their own and then at the age of 50, you say, wait a second, I wanna pay for their college, that's a value. Wait a second, I wanna, I wanna contribute towards a house for them. That's now a value for me. So it's always good to do more than less Because if you have a little extra in your pocket, a little extra in the bank, that'll put a little skip in your step. But everyone knows if you're missing just a little bit, that can be very stressful. A major cause of divorce and marriage, I'm just taking this to like the extreme, is – Dave Ramsey says this Mm -hmm. – is financial instability. Because at the end of the day, that's a real stress at the end of the day all this is about what's important right family community you yourself your 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 leaving a healthy and good i'm not some sort of philosopher but all this financial stuff is about doing things to take that stress away so you can really focus on what's important
0: yeah no, I think what what I'm hearing from you is kind of kind of summarizing this this topic on 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 you know a wealthy versus a poor mindset where what wealth really is is control over our time. Wealth is control over our priorities uh, and the ability to prioritize what we want. Whereas maybe the poor poor mindset is outsourcing that control to somebody else, outsourcing it to our employers, and outsourcing it uh, you know for forever to to something else and putting it beyond our control. And the more we yeah. can build that independence and freedom, that's where we get this wealthy mindset and this, this, what, what wealth does, which helps us prioritize what is ultimately most important to us and every single person that that's going to be different. Um, yeah. you know, I want to yeah,
1: expound on that a little bit. So you you were talking, you said outsourcing, um, your financial decisions. Unfortunately, the way the system is set up You can outsource your financial decisions and be okay. You won't be broke. But if you want a step above that, you have to use your critical thinking abilities. You have to use, uh, take a little bit of effort and make the right decisions for yourself. Because the way the system is set up is to protect you. There's the government and the regulators. They'll make sure that no one will run off with your money, that you'll be – Sometimes,
0: yeah.
1: Some, most of the times. I'm um, not
0: talking about FTX here. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm, ta- I'm talking about a guy who works middle-class job. The pension agent comes to the office, pension, signs what yeah. they say, um, buys the insurance that they tell him to buy at the Coupa. You know, Just does all the things that everyone's doing that you're supposed to be doing just as a normal – functioning member of society right so if you're going to do that that's just set up that when you retire you'll have enough money to close feed and shelter yourself but if you want more which many people do you're going to have to take control and actually understand what's going on and make sure that you're navigating the system in the right direction now I want to even expand a little deeper into that and say that if you're going to take control it doesn't have to be an extreme. So people say, right. I don't understand the stock market, I don't understand investing, I don't understand financing, so I'll just go with the flow. When in reality, right. you can decide what levers you want to turn on, which cost yeah. more money from your potential maximum investment return that you could make in order to make things easier for you. For example, you can decide that i want to do things on my own you know every penny i put is going to compound and be worth 10 pennies later so i want to make sure i'm saving as much as i can on fees so for that guy you open your own brokerage account you open your own kupat gemel bin, binihul ishi instead of a pension you buy your own insurance and you find which one's exactly the cheapest you you manage your own carry you stumble and buy S&P 500 stocks with it great then there's the next guy who says i i don't actually have the time or the bandwidth for this which is actually most people so i'll pay a little bit so i'll pay, pay a financial advisor i'll pay a pension agent um to to actually make sure that the monthly the money's going in and being invested, but I'm going to know that it should be in the S&P 500 track. I'm going to make sure that I have the correct insurance and not overpaying for insurance or underpaying. Um, or you can have the person who then outsources absolutely everything, including the decisions, and then that's where it'll cost them. So we see this a lot, actually, not so much with the uh, Karnishtal Mood and Pension, but actually with um the mid to long term savings that are above that so the the pendulum there between ease and minimum cost to ease and maximum cost to, to ease to, to 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 harder on your end but minimum cost is sort of the people who say i'm going to put it in a kupat gemelahashkaah with the 1 2% management fees they're paying after all the hidden fees yeah. To the people who are investing in 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 some sort of Israeli brokerage account, which actually makes things a little easier with the divochim, but still paying a little more fees and the right. and paying for conversion a little more, and then to the extremists. Not the extremists, the people who really want to take over everything and opening an interactive account or a foreign brokerage account and making sure on the 30th of the month that they're then going into their bank and making the transfer. And then once it gets there, they're going to transfer from shekels to dollars. And then once it's transferred to dollars, they're going to buy the index fund. So it's not all or nothing. It's not being um, you know, frugal Israel versus – uh, Extreme.
0: I, I got to do everything myself. 100%. You know,
1: just just yeah. the experts know everything, and I don't know anything. Right. You can actually. There's this middle ground. Ground. Where you yeah. can get an Nadav and Aaron Shachovitz, uh uh you know someone to someone to help you to na- na- navigate that and 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 also by the way a dirty secret yeah. <laughs> so it's not it's not a Catholic wedding like you you can get divorced. You can you can leave your financial advisor, you can leave your pension plan, you can,
0: you can get uh, a new one.
1: You can cancel your insurance, you can buy more insurance. Um, yeah. so don't worry about making that transition slowly. I actually think that's probably even more healthy. And and you could find what works for you. I, right. I did say insurance. I do want to say though something about insurance that many people don't think about. Is it okay if I keep talking?
0: Yeah, no, we're we're getting great insights here. You keep you keep All going. Right. We love this.
1: All right, the one thing I can't stand, okay, (laughs) life insurance, and it applies also to health insurance, okay, so you pay for your insurance, the way, the reason you buy insurance is because you want to lock in um, the coverage while you're still healthy, right, so if you don't, if you're young, and people sell you life and health insurance, guess what, they're not going to sell it to you for the same rate when you have diabetes, When you have heart disease, when you have – I don't know what kind of illnesses old people get. They get them. I'm young, so I don't know about them. Thank God. But they're not going to sell them for the same rate because your risk goes up, right? Because the cost of insurance – a very simple way. Here's the way you think of insurance, okay? It's the cost of the risk. So, for example, if if you want to insure 100 – Shekels, and you have a ten percent chance of something Changed happening. Yeah. yeah, something happening. So the cost of the insurance is ten percent. All right. On top of that, their cost of sales and marketing. So all the market, all the advertisements right. you see, and all the and paying your insurance agent. All
0: the commissions, so the cost right. of the
1: risk, sales and marketing, and profit because they need to make a little bit of money; otherwise, they wouldn't exist. All right.
0: Right. So that's it. Yeah.
1: That's the three components of insurance. All, all there is, boiled down to a nutshell. Um, so a lot of agents, the, way, the sales tactic they'll use is they'll say, oh, yeah, here's how it's going to increase, but I'll give you a discount for the first three years. I'll give you a discount for the first five years. And then you're like, oh, I'm paying so little. I'm paying half of what other plans would be paying. Yeah, but the whole point, the whole point of life insurance, health insurance is to lock in the coverage for long term. And the only way to re-lock it in is if you stay healthy. So if you're getting a short-term discount of a couple hundred shekels, but then you need to renew the plan in a couple of years, but in those couple of years, you have a risk of getting diabetes, cancer, heart disease, um, get a toe amputated, I don't know, (laughs) finger in the bread slicing machine. So that discount is not worth it. So don't fall for that dumb trick they use. I can't stand it. It boggles my mind.
0: (laughs) All right, hopefully... Hope, hopefully you stopped a few people from making that mistake. But I guess just to summarize, uh, you know, a lot of what you're saying, um, it, it comes down to you don't have to do everything on your own. You don't have to expect to do everything on your own. Investing and in something both you and I are very passionate about is, is education that being a little bit not, not being a financial expert, not getting a master's in finance, uh, but being educated before you go into that meeting with with any advisor before you approach uh, any of these issues as you optimize your financial life education really pays a lot of dividends because then you understand uh, a lot more of what people are are selling you a, a bag of of junk versus what people are selling you you know quality information and how to approach this and get advice from people who have a lot more experience um but but you know only you know about yourself and only you know about your own personal financial situation yeah and you're the best one to kind of evaluate things at the end of the day. So I think that's, that's really been, been a, a really great insights here. If you could sum it up, give me kind of one aspect, you know, we talked about insurance, but one aspect of personal finance in Israel that you think Olim find hard, find hardest to adjust to, you know, throw out one, one option. I mean, you've made so many videos, uh, over the years yeah. and so many different tips. Uh, if you find one that you think people really, uh, find difficult when they get to e- Israel, what would you say? So, and how would so you yeah, approach you that? spoke about
1: there's two th- things that you said that I really want to jive on. Okay. One is the marginal utility of knowledge of understanding how the f- investing works is humongous. So marginal utility is just a way of a fancy way of I don't know of saying that um, the by learning just a little more you actually gain a lot more than the right. other people value yeah value yeah. so just understand you're coming to a new system and just take the time to just learn how the system works yeah if that's from the simple as how many how many vacation days do most people get to how does the pension and career schmut work how does what, what are benefits at the job start from there start from really understanding what are the benefits that your job is giving you Okay, yeah. pension, what does that mean? How does it work? Karen Ishtamu, what does that mean? How does it work? Because money is coming out of your paycheck going into this thing. You know, 18% right. of your base salary is disappearing into this thing every month. <laughs> so just figure out uh, how it works, and that'll give you a lot. Yeah. And then the second thing is realize that we're in a free market system and just ask yourself okay, these people who are giving me advice, who are doing things for me, are getting paid. No one's doing anything for free. Okay, Someone's paying them to help you. If they're right. sitting with you for an hour of their time, two hours of your time, think how much your pension agent takes with you. He's not doing this for free. And just right. ask yourself, how is he being paid? paid? Now, it's fine that he's being paid. And it's fine that the model is set up for him to be in, paid in a certain way. But just be aware of how he's being paid. Because yeah. that will allow you to see through the bullshit. It will yeah. allow you to ask the question of: because of how he's being paid, because of how the system is set up, is this the best for me, or the best for them? So just right. use your 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 critical thinking abilities um, to really understand how the system is work. What are the lever? What you know what. Why is it like it is? Why does a pineapple cost seventy shekels in Israel? Why? Why does it cost five dollars less? How? Why does it cost five shekels in Greece? Yeah. Right. Okay. So in Israel, so I, you know, I, this is just fun for me. But <laughs> Why? Because in Israel, you're not allowed to import pineapples, or if you import them, it co- it takes a, a long effect. time and costs a lot of money. So there's people who grow pineapples in Israel even though pineapples should not be grown in Israel because we're not a tropical country. So they invented this whole farming method of putting – of putting you know yeah. special things and cooling and heating and and it's really expensive to grow a pineapple in israel the same way that it would be really exp- you could grow a, po- a tomato in antarctica newsflash you can right it's just you're gonna have to build a special little house for the tomato and someone's <laughs> gonna have to fly to antarctica and water the tomato and you're gonna have to test the soil and heat the soil so it doesn't melt all right sorry for ranting but uh <laughs> just understand basically understand how this system works yeah. And whether that's good for you or not good for you, and then that'll empower you to make the right decisions so that you are maximizing your wealth building and maximizing reaching your financial goals.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a fantastic... There's, there's so many fantastic tips here. I think people are going to love this. They're going to they're gonna enjoy it as well. I really en- enjoy your passion. And uh, I think everybody watching this can see how, how passionate you are about this subject. I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing all this, uh, all this, uh, more, see a lot more from, yeah. I just want to say
1: guys, guys, before you click off, because you hear Aaron's like end of podcast sort of like ending, listen to me guys, Aaron He's doing this like from his soul. I also do financial aliyah because I really I, I don't make any money from it. I tried but I didn't, but I could have, <laughs> but I should've and would've, but Baruch Hashem, I'm doing really good. You we'll and- get back to it. Yeah, um, no, but I'm doing really good, and and good uh, you know you. I like I like the idea of keeping it as a passion project. Exactly. It's a little bit of an echo chamber because we put out these posts, and then and then I see you guys on the street, people that I don't even know come up to me. Oh, Eden, you're from Financial oh, Alia. Yeah, thanks so much. It's awesome. Uh, an hour, and Aaron, I'm sure that happens to you too. But we, yep. we make these posts. We make these these and and, and a we, we don't know if it's resonating. We don't know if it's helping people. Because no one likes it. No one comments. (laughs) So guys, just help us get out of our echo chamber. chamber. Just throw a like. It doesn't cost anything. It's free so far. Maybe on Twitter, Elon Musk is going to make like a Harding uh, (laughs) paid. But so far, it's free. (laughs) Leave a comment because that helps us know where we can navigate to help you guys even more. And guess what? The way social networks work is... You have a lot of friends that are like you that would also benefit from this knowledge. So when you do that, it also helps them see this amazing content. So if I could just ask of anyone uh, any favor, it would just be like interact, like. It doesn't take a lot so that we get out of our echo chamber and we can help you um, even be more successful because that's what we want at the end of the day, a rising sea. Right. It's all boats. boats. Uh, Some quote like that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yep. That, that, that's, that at the end of the day, it's the engagement. It's all the questions that have been coming in. That's what really keeps us doing more of this. And again, thanks so much for, for coming on the show, Aiden. Uh, I had a really great time and I know people are going to love this. A hundred percent. Wonderful day. All
1: right. Amazing. See you later. Thank you so much.